This is episode number 32 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the bi-weekly program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective because... Well, frankly, someone has to be able to do it. No one else is. The liberal mainstream media cannot be objective, and the conservative now state-run media has been completely compromised. We, however, at the Individual One podcast have definitely not been co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please remember to subscribe to it, rate, review, and share it via social media, and follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is Individual, the number one pod. That's Individual, the number one pod. So much going on. Hard to know where to start, so when in doubt, go with the most recent news first. I, I'm not sure we're going to be able to jam it all within the normally an hour or so of an individual one podcast episode. But today, uh, started off with Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, going in front of the press. And while her caucus is in an uproar over the issue of whether or not to impeach Donald Trump, which she has clearly been against, mostly for political purposes. Pelosi made a rather explosive and newsmaking comment, and here that was. Would you believe that it's important for the, the, to follow the facts? Uh, we believe that no one is above the law, including the President of the United States, and we believe that the President of the United States is engaged in a cover-up. The President of the United States is engaged in a cover-up. Now, that certainly sounds like something you would start impeachment hearings to investigate, but Pelosi has not uh, instigated that as of yet. Uh, whether or not that will eventually happen is still anybody's guess. There is growing momentum within her caucus. This was after she held a meeting with that caucus where apparently several key Democrats urged her to uh, engage in an impeachment process, whether that means, you know, starting hearings. If they start, though, it almost certainly with the Democrats controlling the House of Representatives would result in Donald Trump being impeached. And that, of course, could spin out of control and theoretically help Donald Trump, especially with a reelection uh, in looming in the background in 2020. That's the conventional wisdom. I'm not a big believer in that conventional wisdom, because I think when you look at the real history of what happened to Bill Clinton, in the long run, he was not helped, nor was the Democratic Party really helped. If you look at the electoral history that followed Bill Clinton's impeachment, even though he was personally very popular at the end of it, it's very much in Republicans' favor, including the next presidential election. Not only did Republicans win, barely, by the skin of their teeth, the next presidential election in the year 2000, but we elected as our president the son of the man Bill Clinton defeated. I mean, if that wasn't the biggest middle finger you could possibly provide to Bill Clinton, I don't know what would have been. And this was a situation that is very similar to what we have today, where Donald Trump could easily be impeached by a Democratic House and then be acquitted assuming the Senate even took it up, which I think they would probably be forced to because you got senators on the Democratic side like Elizabeth Warren running for president who would basically shut down everything in the Senate unless and until uh, an impeachment trial was at least dealt with. But Trump would end up being victorious because you need two-thirds majority in the Senate, which is not going to happen for reasons that I'll get to 
uh, later on, barring some sort of cataclysmic black swan event. So you have Pelosi under siege by her own caucus deciding to come out and say, look, we're going to follow where the facts are. We're going to continue investigating. We believe the president is engaged in a cover-up. Well, Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, the Democratic Senate leader, were scheduled to meet. I don't know if they actually did. I think they actually may have briefly met with President Trump in the White House after this. And Trump was having none of it. Trump decided, okay, you know, that's it for me. I'm taking my ball and like a special snowflake, I'm going home. We're not going to discuss infrastructure as had been previously scheduled. I can't do this under these circumstances. You guys have got to shut down these, uh, in his words, hoax-ish, uh, or if not total hoax, investigations into me and my finances and the Russian investigation and all sorts of other things that are going on. So I am not going to engage in any sort of negotiations on infrastructure and go pound sand. Now, I find this to be remarkable for a guy who's supposed to be all about what's best for the country, guy who's supposed to be, you know, super studly and strong. And here he is acting like a child, which is what he really is. And he decides, you know what, uh, we, I can't engage in any negotiations, even on something that I have said is part of making America great again. So I'm going to put my own personal welfare ahead of making America great again, all because I need to protect myself, which sounds an awful lot like a cover-up, doesn't it? (laughs) It sounds an awful lot like there's something to cover up. Correct. And so Nancy Pelosi, and I can't believe I'm saying this because I am the the most ardent critic you can imagine of Nancy Pelosi. I've spent numerous, uh, probably hours, speaking with my good friend, Democratic Congressman John Yarmuth, about how there's got to be a way to, to mitigate Nancy Pelosi's influence on the Democratic caucus because she is political death, but she's right. Doesn't mean, you know, you can't be right sometimes. And she's right about this. This is a cover-up. All of this is a cover-up. Not allowing Don McGahn, the former White House counsel, to testify in front of Congress is part of the cover-up. Bill Barr is a huge part of this cover-up. Defying subpoenas all over the place is all part of this cover-up. It is a cover-up of what was really found in the Mueller investigation. No one has really read the damn report. Even Mitt Romney, who I'll get to momentarily for his gutless reaction to all this, has strongly implied that he doesn't believe any of his colleagues have read the report. Lindsey Graham, the head of the Judiciary Committee in the Senate, has effectively said he hasn't read the report. If, and, and I got to tell you, every day, dozens of Trump fans come at me who, on Twitter who clearly have not read the report. That's all I ask. Read the report with an open mind and connect the dots. And it's clear that this was not an exoneration of any sort. It wasn't even an exoneration on the issue of collusion. It was clearly not an exoneration on the issue of obstruction of justice, the evidence of which is overwhelming which is why the Republican Congressman Justin Amash of Michigan came out over the weekend and effectively said he was in favor of Donald Trump's impeachment, which led to him being destroyed by his own caucus, ironically entitled the Freedom Caucus. (laughs) We cannot speak freely in the Freedom Caucus, folks. That's that's the bizarre world we're currently in right now. The whole thing is... It's just flat out ridiculous. uh, I mean, of course, Donald Trump went after him. 
And then Mitt Romney uh, allowed him to be, you know, effectively put out on a limb and cut it off himself. Again, I'll get to that momentarily because there's so much going on here. I want to start off with that, that Donald Trump has basically now said, you know what, I'm not going to play ball. And whether or not that will work with the larger populace, I don't know. It certainly will work with his cult because they will always believe everything he does is great. That's just the way they are. I love the poorly educated. But I I don't believe that the average person is going to react well to that. I really don't. I have very little faith in the average American, but I do not have, uh, I I have grave doubts that this is a good move politically for someone who is running for re-election as president of the United States. Because the the average person, they're going to go, wait a minute, that's your job. If you can't do your job then why should we rehire you? Now, I don't know what percentage of the population fits in that category, but there's got to be some people there. But he is desperately appealing to the base and acting like a man who has a lot to hide on numerous levels. Now, let's get to some of the stuff that he's hiding. I want to start largely because this is called the Individual One Podcast, which was named because of the phrase used at the beginning of the show by Michael Cohen. Remember this, of course. For the record... Individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And for the record, I have no love for Michael Cohen. I mean, this this, this, uh, podcast is named somewhat ironically, and it was named that by the Global Story Network. I like the name uh, because it certainly fits a lot of the content. But this is not somehow uh, a situation where we're defending Michael Cohen. Michael Cohen, at best, deserves our pity. That's the best thing I can think of with regard to him. He's a a moron. He's corrupt. Uh, He's going to prison because he got backstabbed uh, largely by Donald Trump because he was stupid enough to trust this guy. And when you sleep with the devil, you get what you deserve. And so that's Michael Cohen. But I have been saying to much criticism for a long time, for several months now, that Michael Cohen's testimony to Congress, which he pled guilty to having perjured himself in, where he claimed that the Trump Tower Moscow project ended in January of 2016, that that lie, that that perjury was clearly at the direction of Donald Trump. And I have been saying this despite the fact that Robert Mueller came out and poured cold water all over the report in BuzzFeed that was the first to, to really go out on the limb and say this is what happened. We had Ben Smith, the editor-in-chief of BuzzFeed, on this podcast several weeks ago. I urge you now to check out uh, that interview uh, w- that we did. I forget which episode it was, but it was probably about uh, six or seven episodes ago where he, this was just before the Mueller report came out, so maybe it was longer ago than that. But we, we uh, talked extensively about how Ben Smith and BuzzFeed were still standing by the essence of their report, that Cohen's perjury was directed by Donald Trump. Well, we've now learned new information based upon Cohen's closed-door testimony to Congress, which backs this up, and it backs it up in spades with documentary evidence. Now, I am confused as as all hell as to why this was not made more clear in the public testimony of Michael Cohen. I don't know whether or not it was incompetence on the part of the Democratic questioners. I don't know whether or not Cohen... Uh, made some sort of a deal. I honestly don't know. I I don't know why this was in closed-door session. And frankly, because we live in a video age, if it doesn't happen on video, it doesn't really matter. 
But in closed door session, Cohen, with documentation, declared that it was Trump's lawyer, Jay Sokolow. And you know Jay Sokolow is a scumbag for two reasons. One, he's Trump's lawyer. And two, because he's a TV lawyer. Never trust a TV lawyer <laughs> and never trust a lawyer who was working for Donald Trump, including Michael Cohen. But Jay Sokolow, it's now clear, directed Michael Cohen to testify that the Trump Tower Moscow project ended in January of 2016. I have always said that had to be the case because it makes no sense otherwise. Because how does Michael Cohen know exactly when to put the date? If you're going to lie, this is not a normal yes or no lie. People can figure out for themselves that they're protecting somebody to say no when asked a question, if they're willing to do that and perjure themselves to protect, for instance, the president of the United States who has pardon power, they know whether or not to say yes or no to something. They don't know if they're going to change a story and totally change a narrative and change June of 2016 to January. They have to be directed to do that. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. Well, we now have documentary evidence indicating not only did this happen, but that Sokolow knew, knew that this was false, that they, they had emails knowing that it was actually June. Now, I'm still confused and skeptical about the June date. But the reason why the dates matter, and this is why Trump's going to survive all this, because it's too complex for, it's not that complex, but it's too complex for the average person to understand. I love the poorly educated. Is that in June of 2016, Trump is the Republican presidential nominee. And he's got Russian uh, associates, operatives, what do you want to ever call them, meeting in Trump Tower in New York with his son, his son-in-law, and his campaign chairman. So they need the Trump Tower Moscow project to be done with in January. Now, interestingly, I believe Cohen says the very end of January, which is like literally the last day before the Iowa caucuses began. So, I mean, so this was such an obviously contrived lie that they're just trying to claim under oath to Congress that this whole thing, ah, uh, yeah, this never impacted the campaign because we were already done with it. We were already done with it. Now, why it ends in January, allegedly, I don't know, and I don't understand, and I don't necessarily believe because Rudy Giuliani was on the record on television saying that it went all the way until October, November, which, of course, is when Trump gets elected, which would make more sense to me. It would make more sense. Why end it in June? Now, there is a scenario you end it in June for a far more nefarious reason. I doubt very seriously that Trump suddenly got religion in June and said, you know what, this is inappropriate for the Republican presidential nominee to be trying to build a massive tower in Moscow needing the approval of a foreign adversarial government. I find that very hard to believe that suddenly he just, you know what, I've decided after the Russian uh, uh, operatives met with my son, my son-in-law, and my campaign chairman in Trump Tower in New York and offered dirt on Hillary Clinton, at that moment, I'm going to stop this because it's just inappropriate. That doesn't make any damn sense to me. I need an explanation for that, for, for, for why that would occur. There, it's possible, it's possible that that's an indication that there was deeper collusion than we currently even know about. 
because that might make sense because then if you stop it in June, that means you're already of the mindset that you need to shut this down because otherwise it's going to look too suspicious and too corrupt if anyone ever finds out about it. This is pure speculation at this point. But the important part is the BuzzFeed story has been vindicated, just as I told you eventually it would be. And it's not just this date issue. Cohen also testified that Ivanka Trump's lawyer told him, and apparently he's got, there's documentation on this, Ivanka Trump's lawyer told him to lie about her involvement in the Moscow Tower. And there's no apparent proof of this, but apparently Succolo dangled a pardon for Michael Cohen both before and after his lie about the Moscow Tower. And these dangling of pardons, I mean, this is why you need to interpret everything that Trump did in this, especially once he's president, through the prism of the power of the presidency, which is truly unique and overwhelming because you have the pardon power and you have the power to effectively hire and fire almost anybody in the federal government. That means that you are able to obstruct justice with the lift of a pinky finger. You, that, that's why it's so frustrating to me that Robert Mueller didn't connect so many of these dots, whether he did it well, I'll get to why he did and didn't do it shortly, but it's frustrating to me because no one seems to be understanding that when a president does something, it has a thousand times more impact and influence over somebody. Like, for instance, impacting their testimony to Congress. Like as an example, in a normal world, if Trump isn't president, I doubt that getting his lawyer to, uh, you know, give a wink, wink, nod, nod, although apparently it was stronger than that, to Michael Cohen to lie to Congress would be good enough to get that done. Think about it. Let's pretend Trump wasn't president, right? And for some reason, Congress was investigating his campaign. If Trump isn't president, I doubt seriously that it would be enough for Jay Sucklaw to say, you know what, we really need you to say this is January. Because at that point, Cohen's going to go, go fuck yourself. I'm not going to perjure myself in front of Congress. There's probably emails that are going to prove that this is wrong and I'm going to go to jail. But when Sucklaw is representing the president of the United States and telling him, you know, by the way, the president really appreciates your support and, you know, he does have the pardon power and, you know, we're going to take care of you. Now it's a totally different ball game. Now he can obstruct justice without even directly doing it. Which is why I continually have now been referring to his Twitter feed as a weapon of mass obstruction. He's, that's what Trump did here. He used his Twitter feed to send signals to people to not cooperate, to not trust the investigation. He even tried to tamper with the Paul Manafort jury by while they were in deliberations, unsequestered. How the hell is that not obstruction of justice? <laughs> My God, these are things that were never contemplated. One, because we never knew there would be such a thing as a Twitter feed and a president willing to use it in such ways. So, so the Michael Cohen thing has, I believe, totally vindicated BuzzFeed and me. And by the way, it's, it's, it's vindicated me on a second level. Because 
this is all happening surrounding the Trump Moscow Tower project. And what have I said is the heart of this whole matter. The Trump Tower Moscow project is why all the lying, why all the cover up. Trump mistakenly thought, although understandably so, that even his cult would not accept him leveraging the Republican presidential nomination to try to force a land deal with a foreign adversary and then lying about it constantly during the campaign. Now, it turns out they would, because as Trump has said, it was all cool. It was all legal. <laughs> That's his line on this. If it w- My question is, and by the way, if I had the opportunity to ask Donald Trump a question, which, of course, they never would, not just because I'm not a celebrity, but because Trump doesn't do uh, non-friendly interviews anymore, hasn't done one since October of last year with 60 Minutes. But if I had the one question, it would be if the Trump Tower Moscow deal was so cool and legal, why'd you lie about it? Why'd you have your lawyers force Michael Cohen to lie about it? Why did Ivanka Trump's lawyers force Michael Cohen to lie about her involvement in it? Why? Why all the lying about it if it was so cool and legal? Why? Well, the answer is because it wasn't cool. And it may have been legal, but it was highly, redonkulously inappropriate for a Republican presidential nominee to be doing that while the campaign was going on. So uh, I think it's important to, to point that out. That the evidence continues to flow in, that this is the heart of everything. Now, maybe there's more. There could be more than that based upon some of the things we're learning about the Deutsche Bank situation, the money laundering that got flagged, that Deutsche Bank overruled involving not just the president, but also Jared Kushner and the Russians. So there's, there's still all sorts of things going on, which leads me to Robert Mueller. Now, I, I, uh, my spidey senses were up real fast on this whole Mueller testimony issue when uh, Jared Nadler, the House Judiciary Committee chairman, said that uh, negotiations were ongoing and we're not sure when Mueller is going to testify. Originally, it was scheduled for the 15th of this month. Then it got postponed. And then yesterday, CNN reported that Mueller apparently is reticent to testify publicly. Uh, because he doesn't want to appear to be too political. Really? Seriously. At this point, Robert Mueller is afraid of his image being tarnished because he'll be seen as too political. You cannot be serious! Uh, Here's the reality, folks. This is already political. There's no getting around that. Donald Trump made it political. He's used his Twitter feed hundreds of times, literally, to attack Robert Mueller. And make it political. The right-wing state-run media has made this political. They have turned Robert Mueller from a lifelong Republican war hero into some bizarro world, de facto Democrat leading a witch hunt and a hoax, none of which is remotely true. It's not even close to being true. But that's the way we live today. You must be crazy. When are you going to stop believing in something that isn't true? People believe whatever they want to believe, and the cult will believe whatever it is that Trump and the right-wing media is spouting. So with regard to Mueller's testimony, if he does not testify publicly, this thing is over. I've always said that Trump is going to win this thing. We're just debating over what the final score is. And the final score matters. The final score matters for history, and the final score matters 
when it comes to the 2020 election. But Trump's going to win. That's almost 100%. If Mueller never testifies publicly, that is 100%. Because that's the linchpin. Because without Mueller testifying publicly, I'm not even sure you can get an impeachment through. Which would be the worst disaster if you started one and then didn't complete it and get it into the Senate. But I, I, the, the, the one mistake that Trump has made, theoretically, in all of this, p- from a political standpoint, from a purely political standpoint, he has been dastardly, but he has been genius in getting through this. But the one vulnerability he has is that in, in the method that he has used, he has created an enormous aura around Robert Mueller and an enormous amount of interest in what Mueller has to say. And Bill Barr, in effectively muting the report, lying about what, it was, it, what was in it, he created even more intrigue surrounding Robert Mueller. So if you think about this as, uh, this is just an analogy off the top of my head, so it may or may not work. But you think about this as the ocean, right? The ocean comes in waves, right? And there's a wave that comes in, and Bill Barr's wave is, I'm going to mute the Mueller report because I want short-term gain from my boss who hired me when I was on the couch in my underwear and wrote this 19-page memo pleading for a job that I once had and no one cares about me anymore and I want one last bite of the apple before I die and so I'm willing to do anything I I, I can for this guy. Uh, So the wave crashes against the shore. Well, what happens when a wave comes off the shore? If it's a big wave, it creates a second wave, right? So the, in theory, the Bill Barr muting of the Mueller report would actually create a larger wave for Mueller's own testimony that might work in reverse against this first wave. But if Mueller's not willing to testify publicly, then Barr wins, then Trump wins, then they get away with it. The only way this changes is if Mueller testifies publicly and hits an unmitigated home run. I am not certain either of those things are going to happen. And part of why I'm uncertain is that I have lost a lot of faith in Robert Mueller. Not as a man of character. He's clearly a guy of character. In fact, maybe too much character. If anything, he went too much by the book in this investigation. When you actually read the report, as, as I did, you get frustrated by how straight he is a shooter. He will not conclude anything that he doesn't believe is 100% proven, I think to his detriment. Because as I've already said, I believe he does a lousy job of connecting some pretty obvious dots. But he saw his job as very, very narrow. Was there a conspiracy to, to for lack of a better term, collude between Trump campaign and Russia? And was there obstruction of justice? Now, in my view, having read the report and the aftermath of it, What he should have done is he should have said, you know what, Uh, I I can't come to a conclusion. No, he could have come out (laughs) if he really wanted to be political. He could have come out and like Trump, you know, know, Trump with his uh, Johnny Cochran impression. The collusion delusion is over. Right. (laughs) So, So if Mueller wanted to fight fire with fire, he could have come out and said, I can reach no conclusion on collusion. Because the obstruction was just too much. In fact, his Twitter feed was a weapon of mass destruction, of mass obstruction, causing judicial destruction, whatever. The reality is Mueller could have 
done a lot more by simply saying, I was not allowed to reach a conclusion because the obstruction was so overwhelming. And that would have been truthful based upon the facts in the report. That's what Mueller should have done. Now, maybe he was naive. Maybe he didn't realize that Bill Barr was going to stab him in the back. That's quite possible. I think that's in the realm, you know, in any mystery, there's usually multiple explanations. I think that's one of them. I think he trusted Bill Barr a little too much. I do believe that he effectively closed up shop because he thought he was going to get fired. That seems pretty obvious. In fact, in his explanation for why he did not pursue a, a subpoena for Trump to testify, that's really the only way you can interpret what was going on. But Mueller should say that. And for those, and I've, when I've said publicly that Mueller may have wimped out here, been intimidated by the, the whole witch hunt uh, criticism by, by Donald Trump, I, I, a lot of people pushed back on this and said, wait a minute, John, what if Mueller's doing this? What if Mueller's doing that? Maybe if he's, he's taking the high road, maybe he has a larger plan. Okay, then say it publicly, under oath, on television. I'm perfectly fine with that theory if Mueller's willing to testify publicly. But if he's not, then this whole thing, whether Mueller realizes it or wants to accept it or not, is over. It's over, and Trump will have won, and to the detriment of who we are as a country and what's going to happen in our future. Now, why do I believe that Mueller may have wimped out? I have a bias here, and it's a weird bias, because I have been, in my life, I've been wrong about a lot of things. But one of the presumptions that I made early in my life, which turned out to be 180 degrees false, is that I thought that people, especially men, when they got older, cared less about what people thought and they actually became ballsier. I don't know where I got that impression. Maybe it was just the way I looked at the world. But I thought that when, you know, older Powerful men who have made their way in life. They've made their fortune. They've made their reputations. They're close. You know, it's closing down shop time. <laughs> the sun is starting to set. You would think that they're ballsy as hell. You're just going to go out in a blaze and they don't give a damn because they've already had their life. Well, what I have found, and I have found this not just by looking at things publicly, but I've had this happen in my own personal life in, in times that have in situations that have often been very painful. What I have found is that for whatever reason, and maybe it's a more recent phenomenon, maybe society has changed, but in my experience, and this is almost universal, I have run into numerous older, powerful, wealthy men who late in their lives become complete pussies. Complete pussies. And I don't, I, it has frustrated the hell out of me. And I don't know for sure why this is the case. I theorize that it, one, it's low testosterone levels from a physical standpoint, and but two, probably more prominently, I think they are afraid of what the last chapter is going to be. I think they're terrified of death, and they don't want the last chapter to be a negative one. And so Robert Mueller has worked his entire life for this reputation of this straight-shooting prosecutor of high moral character, and he doesn't want to go out, I'm saying this is mostly subconscious, as a guy who will be seen as a political hack. He just doesn't want that to happen. So I can understand that 
It's purely a theory on my part, but it would explain a lot, especially it would explain why he doesn't want to testify publicly. Now, I hope I'm wrong. I, I hope that this is all just a negotiation issue, that they'll figure it out, and Mueller will eventually come out there and tell the truth in a way where we can get to the bottom of this. But I have my doubts because I have learned that relying on the balls of old men is going to get you hurt every time. Because they don't, weirdly, old women, you can rely on their balls. Old women have balls, but not old men, in my experience. Life lessons from John Ziegler that you never expected you were going to get on the Individual One podcast. A couple of things we've got to get to here with regard to what's going on, and, and it is chaos. I mean, we are in the middle of a chaotic situation, which most of the country doesn't even seem to care about, which is frankly scary. But we've got Don McGahn defying a subpoena. By the way, his law firm has been paid millions of dollars by the Republican Party this year. What an amazing coincidence. Don McGahn defies a subpoena to testify to Congress, and it just so happens that the Republican Party is spending millions of dollars, I believe it's $2 million at least, of Republican donor money in what certainly looks like a payoff for his law firm to defy the subpoena, and, and now looks like he's going to be held in contempt of Congress. We've got Hope Hicks, the former assistant uh, communications director, for Donald Trump, he, basically, he was she was hired because she's hot and Trump liked hanging out with her. Uh, but one of the many, many things that the media was incredibly naive about in this whole matter is that Hope Hicks resigned like the day after she testified to Congress. Now, you don't. Come on, people. Can we please? Can we please? Can we please use our brains for a second? This is early on in the Trump administration. Hope Hicks testifies to Congress, <laughs> and she suddenly decides, you know what? This is not for me. I'm going to pursue other work. And she comes here to Los Angeles, I believe. Well, she's been uh, subpoenaed to testify. Angie Donaldson, an aide to Don McGahn, has been subpoenaed to testify to Congress. Rex Tillerson, how about this out of the blue? Former Secretary of State, another situation that has been completely underrated in the entire mountain of chaos that has been the Trump administration. Rex Tillerson, former Secretary of State, he made a surprise visit yesterday to the House Foreign Affairs Committee, testifying for seven hours about what Trump's relationship with, with, was, with Russia was, and specifically Jared Kushner's influence on the Department of State, which obviously would be highly inappropriate. And apparently Tillerson was complaining about profusely at the time and may have caused his, his eventual firing slash resignation. I mean, it's amazing that the idea that Trump fired Rex Tillerson, the Secretary of State, fired James Comey, the FBI director, fired Jeff Sessions, the attorney general who had recused himself from the Russian investigation, all three of those firings have direct correlations to the Russian investigation. And it's important to point out, Tillerson was a friend of Vladimir Putin. And even he apparently wasn't willing to go far enough for Donald Trump. And yet most of America hasn't really no knowledge or even caring about about this whole thing. No one wants to put all these these dots together. And then we've got the IRS. This came out yesterday. Apparently there was a memo indicating that within the IRS that Trump's tax returns 
have to be turned over to Congress unless Trump invokes executive privilege, which would be nuts. But because we're dealing with Donald Trump, that's probably what exactly he's going to do. Correct. I mean, so and it's obvious that Trump is terrified of his tax returns. I'm not sure how much more terrified he could be based upon after what the New York Times came out with a couple of weeks ago, indicating that he had taken over a billion dollars in losses in the late 80s and the early 90s. And I have talked extensively about how Trump is a financial fraud. Now, whether or not there's criminality in those tax reform returns, I don't know. But clearly, there's a lot of fraud with regard to how much he is worth. And I've always said how much he is worth or not worth is the key to understanding everything about Donald Trump. Because once you understand what a fraud his wealth is, you understand what a fraud everything else about him is. There's a, there's a story out today that relates to this that I've, I've mentioned before. We've talked a lot about golf on the Individual One podcast recently. American taxpayers have spent $120 million on Trump's golf trips during his administration. Now, this, by the way, from a guy who criticized all the golf that Barack Obama was paying, or playing, all right? $120 million. Much of that has been spent at where? Trump-owned properties. So what eventually happens? He makes a profit from taxpayer money being spent so that he can play golf while president of the United States. You, I mean, you cannot make this up. You, you cannot. You cannot be serious. And yet his cult gives him credit for not taking a salary. <laughs> this is the genius of Donald Trump. He doesn't take a salary. So his cult thinks, wow, he must really be rich. He doesn't even take a salary. And he really loves America because he doesn't want to take any money from the taxpayers. I love the poorly educated. But in reality, he's making exponentially more money from the presidency by spending taxpayer money at his own properties. <sighs> now, what's going to happen here with regard to impeachment? I don't know. But I am fascinated by this issue Largely because, as you know, if you're a listener to this podcast on a regular basis or my other podcast, The World According to Zig, that I have been uh, lobbying my very good friend, a Democrat, avoid a Freudian slip there, Democratic Congressman John Yarmouth from Louisville, Kentucky, who's the chairman of the Budget Committee. I have been uh, lobbying him since before Democrats even took over the House of Representatives. And at one point, uh, late last uh, year, before uh, after the election, before Democrats took control, I made an incredibly, especially for me, emotionally impassioned plea to my good friend who was against impeachment. He was, I, I think the best way to phrase it would be, he was generally against impeaching Donald Trump late last year. And I made an impassioned plea to John, and I said, look, John, uh, I get this isn't easy, uh, but this isn't about really even Donald Trump. This is about where we're headed as a country. This is about the future. This is about what happens when a real tyrant who's not a buffoon comes along and is able to use what Donald Trump got away with here without even being impeached. And a future Congress is rendered impotent to do anything because of the Trump precedents. And I don't want my children to be living in tyranny because you guys wimped out when it came to holding Donald Trump accountable. 
And at that point, John said, I think the words were, you almost have me convinced. And I kept working on him. And now, much to my somewhat surprise, since I barely, I'm rarely able to convince John of anything, unless we're on the golf course, uh, John has not only changed his mind on impeachment, he has become one of the leaders of the impeachment charge within the Democratic caucus. This might be the, the proudest moment of my very mediocre career, that I've had any influence over John's attempt to to influence what's going on in the Democratic caucus about this. He is the one who has said continually, it is not uh, if, but when Donald Trump will be impeached. That's his go-to line. I found this to be particularly hilarious because two days ago, NBC News did a story in which they directly misquoted John. They actually they quoted him as saying, it's if not when. (laughs) And I'm like, I texted John. I'm like, did NBC misquote you, or did you change your quote for some reason? Did you go from when, not if, to if, not when? Because that doesn't sound like you. Well, sure enough, NBC completely botched the quote in a way that couldn't be more dramatic, right? Because those two things mean very different things. But John has been saying now, it is it is not if, but when Donald Trump gets impeached. I don't know whether or not that's true. John doesn't have final say over this. Nancy Pelosi respects John immensely, but Nancy clearly isn't there yet, although based on her statements today, she's getting awfully close. But then John got quoted today in in the Washington Post, and this really made me uh, smile. John uh, was quoted as saying, quote, this is a meaning impeachment, the impeachment of Donald Trump. This is a question of the future of democracy, and I don't think the politics are important. Correct. Almost directly quoting uh, my argument to John, and I don't want to take full credit for it because John's a smart guy. I figured he would probably have come to this conclusion on his own. But that made me proud to be John's friend and that because that, that is exactly right. Now, whether or not there will, would be a political cost to this, I don't think anybody knows. It depends on how it goes down. Ironically, although for those who know me, maybe not that surprisingly since I am a contrarian <laughs> at heart, in some ways, I am starting to rethink whether impeachment's a good idea. And you're thinking, wait a minute, how could that be, John? Well, you know, you, you've, you've been, of, of conservatives, you probably have been out there stronger and, and earlier than almost anybody else when it comes to the issue of, of Trump's impeachment. Why are you backing out now? Well, first of all, I'm not totally backing out. I'm, I'm considering how this is all going to go down. And my concern is if you go to war without all, you know, your, your, your forces in a line and all set up and ready to go, it's one thing to know you're going to lose, but then it's another thing to get totally wiped out. I'm all for, uh, you know, battles, and I've done this many times to my own detriment. I'm all for battles for right, battles for truth battles for justice that you know you're going to lose. Nobody's done that publicly more than me. I, I, I have a PhD in that, all right? But I, I want to make sure that your ducks are all in a row here, that you, that you at least know what you're doing and that you're not going to go into battle and get completely wiped out and have it be a situation where you end up doing more harm than good. I'm also wondering if there are better ways to go about this. Now, of course, The biggest part of this problem is we know that if he is impeached, he will not be removed from office. We know this because 
even after Justin Amash from Michigan made an incredibly courageous stand, the congressman came out over the weekend and said essentially he's in favor of of Donald Trump's impeachment, that there are clearly impeachable offenses in the Mueller report. And uh, and he also ripped into Bill Barr, which I thought was fantastic because Barr lied about what was in the Mueller report. And that's now obvious to anyone who's actually read it. So Justin Amash creates this this tiny little bit of momentum on the right for the impeachment and potential removal of Donald Trump. And then Mitt Romney, a guy for whom I used to have a lot of respect, never thought he was super courageous, but I thought he was a good guy, a good character, smart guy, should have been president of the United States. Had he been president, Donald Trump never would have come near the presidency. Uh, But Mitt Romney goes on CNN in an interview with Jake Tapper and frankly, makes the worst possible statement he could have made. He congratulates uh, Amash on, a, on his courageous statement, but then he says he disagrees with him about obstruction of justice and does not believe that Trump committed impeachable offenses. And he does so based upon a theory that Mueller could not prove ill intent on Trump's part. Really? Come on, Mitt. Come on, You cannot be serious. There's no way that Mitt Romney really believes that. And I wrote a column which was very popular, which always makes me nervous. Anything I write that's popular, I I question whether or not I got it right, because that's just the way the world works these days, especially on Twitter. But I digress. I wrote a column which you can find at my Twitter feed or the Individual One Pod uh, Twitter feed or just Google it, where I really rip into Mitt Romney, where I, I believe he has now disgraced himself for all time. Because what he could have done, if he really wanted to take even the semi-cowardly way out, he could have said, you know what, I think uh, Justin makes some good points, and I think we should consider this, and I want to reserve judgment. I'm, I'm a senator. Uh, that means I could be a jur- member of this jury that, uh, that hears an impeachment case. So I want to reserve judgment. I'm not going to make a declaration on this. That would have been at at the bare bones minimum, the right thing for Mitt Romney to do. But instead, he didn't do that. He sawed the limb that Justin Amash put himself on. He sawed it right off. And Justin Amash is almost certainly going to lose his seat in Congress over this. And Justin Amash, unlike Mitt Romney, unlike Robert Mueller, is not an old guy. Justin Amash is a young guy with a full career ahead of him. So Justin Amash deserves all the credit in the world for what appears to be a courageous and principle-based stand. Remember those things? Those things used to happen on a regular basis, but no more. Now, now they're so unusual. This is the part that really drives me crazy. Principled stands are so unusual now that people need to come up with a rationalization for why they happened in order for people not to believe in them. And that's what has happened with regard to Republican criticism of Justin Amash. Kevin McCarthy from here in California, the House Minority Leader. What a total jackass this guy is. He actually went on television and claimed that Justin Amash was doing this for attention. For attention. Really? Come on. It's just flat out ridiculous. This is not... Yes, he got attention. This is not the kind of attention that a politician, a Republican politician wants. He's going to get a primary challenge, and there's a very good chance he's going to lose that primary challenge next year, and he'll be out of Congress. That is not, he's not a dumb guy. He knows what he's doing here.
He knows the potential repercussions. The idea that he's doing this for attention, that's all you've got? That, that is pathetic. It's a lie. And kudos to Amash for calling it a lie. And the Freedom Caucus, of all places, has embarrassed itself to, to a comical degree. When you're called the Freedom Caucus and you're publicly denouncing someone for having used their freedom of speech in a way that, by the way, is accurate and truthful, then you're a joke. And again, kudos to Amash for, for his rebuttal, saying, well, you know what? I guess the Freedom Caucus really wasn't in favor of limited government spending. They were just against the current president. Because that's 100% true. What a bunch of freaking frauds, hypocrites, and phonies those people you turned out to be, just like the entire Tea Party movement turned out to be. I mean, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing that I used to be part of this group, this larger group of hardcore philosophical conservatives, because they're all, almost all, turned out to be fakes, frauds, phonies, and hypocrites. All for a con man. All on behalf. That's what the most amazing part of this is. It's not like they're trying to protect somebody who's doing great things for conservatism. He's a a con man who's been a lifelong liberal, who's done almost nothing, including most of his major campaign promises. Obamacare hasn't been repealed and never will be. The wall hasn't been built and never will be. Government spending has exploded. The tax cuts weren't paid for. We lost the House of Representatives in a way that is going to be almost impossible to overcome, especially because of the inherent structural disadvantage now here in California. My God, it's almost impossible for Republicans, especially in a presidential election year coming up, to overcome that kind of inherent structural disadvantage. And for Mitt Romney to to cut Amash off at the knees is pathetic. So it's clear the Senate is not going to do the right thing. But that does not mean, I wrote a column about this too, that does not mean that you shouldn't impeach Donald Trump simply because you know what the result's going to be. In that column, which I urge you to check out, I I make an analogy of a parent with a child. If your child, you know, is not going to eat their vegetables, does that mean you stop trying to make them eat their vegetables? Does that mean you you give them cotton candy or ice cream instead of the vegetables? Because, well, my gosh, they're going to pitch a fit. They're not going to eat their vegetables. Why should we even try? Yeah, what kind of precedent is that going to set? How is that going to work out in the future? When, when you... You, you give that kind of an incentive for bad behavior. I also use the analogy of the O.J. Simpson case. You know, the O.J. Simpson case, well, by the way, there are a lot of parallels between O.J. Simpson's defense and Trump's defense, and I wrote about that a long time ago. I wrote that about, about that a year ago, uh, which is probably one of my more prescient columns about how Trump's defense echoes a lot of what uh, O.J. Simpson did. And it wasn't just the uh, Johnny Cochran rhyme about collusion. The collusion delusion is over. Which, by the way, I predicted at the time <laughs> that, that Trump would eventually mimic Johnny Cochran. You know, if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. Collusion delusion. But but I digress. If the prosecutors in the O.J. case, once they realized uh, stupidly that they were going to put the case in, in downtown L.A. and therefore they were going to get a mostly black jury much like, you know, a mostly Republican Senate jury for impeachment, once they realized that, what would have happened if they just said, you know what, we're not going to even bother trying the case because we know this jury is not going to convict, so we're just going to let O.J. Simpson walk free for double murder. How would people have reacted to that? 
that's very close to what Democrats would be doing if they just decide, you know what, we can't impeach Donald Trump because the jury is is just so dead set against looking at the facts and they're just going to nullify. It's going to be jury nullification and the truth won't matter. Force them. Force them to defend themselves. There are at least four Republican senators in purple states running for re-election in 2020 who would be put in incredibly uncomfortable positions forced to defend Donald Trump in an impeachment hearing or proceeding. So, look, this is a complex question. It's not easy. I'm not pretending that it is. But some of these rationales for not impeaching are not legitimate. And uh, I haven't 100% decided what the best course of action is, but wimping out is clearly not it. Now, again, if Mueller wimps out and isn't willing to, to testify publicly, then that would really change the equation because now then you wouldn't have the momentum to make this work in any sort of viable way. But we'll find out hopefully shortly whether or not that's actually going to happen. Um, I want to mention one other thing about uh, and it's amazing the things that just get lost in all of this insanity involving Donald Trump. But it was not long ago, it was only about a week ago, that Donald Trump accused Democrats and members of our intelligence agency of treason, treason for the origins of the Mueller report or the Russian investigation. Treason, which, of course, is punishable by death. And Bill Barr has made some statements indicating that, you know, he's he's okay with that, that he's, you know, of that thinking. Of course, he's going to rely on the idea of, well, I'm just asking questions. I'm just asking questions that need to be answered. We are in very scary place, folks, where this deep uh, state conspiracy bullshit has gotten uh, so much traction in the right-wing state-run conspiracy media and with an, an attorney general willing to do anything to protect his boss, I think we could have a situation where some very innocent people end up getting charged or maybe even convicted for stuff that didn't happen. That's, but that's where we are. Conspiracy theories are dictating everything on both sides of the aisle. You must be crazy. When are you going to stop believing in something that isn't true? And Trump knows this. He is a master of manipulating conspiracy theories. He's speaking of things that he has said that got very little play when they should have. At a rally recently, earlier this week, Trump effectively said he might run for more than two terms. Listen to this. Now, of course, he'll say he was joking, but his cult will get the message. Here's Here was the president of the freaking United States talking about his re-election chances. Remember this. We, all together, we, I, we, ran one time and we're 1-0, but it was for the big one. Now we're going to have a second time. And we're going to have another one. And then we'll drive them crazy. Let, ready? And maybe if we really like it a lot, and if things keep going like they're going, we'll go and we'll do what we have to do. We'll do a three and a four and a five. Watch. They'll have tomorrow. We knew he... No, I don't want to say. (laughs) Now we're going to have another one and it's going to be great. See, there it's classic Trump. He gives the cult whatever they want to believe. If they want to believe he's going to run for a third or fourth or fifth term, they can believe it. But he also claims, ah, I'm just joking around. You know, they're going to, that crazy press is going to take what I said totally out of context. No, it's not out of context. You know, there are people who really do fear that 
he will break the Constitution and either not leave office if he loses or somehow decide he's going to run for a third term in order to keep out of jail, assuming he's still alive and kicking. But this is this is the kind of stuff that used to be unthinkable. I mean, th- imagine other countries looking at this and our president is openly defying the essence of our entire system in every possible way. And Democrats are worried about, well, you know, if we impeach him, he might increase two or three points in the approval ratings and that might increase his chances of reelection. Come on, people. Come on. Are we not? We're better than that. Uh, maybe we're not. Maybe we're not. And you know what? If we're not better than that, maybe we just don't even bother trying. That's I'm 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 on the precipice of going in that direction. I'm not there yet because I don't give up easily, but uh, I can see that happening uh, in fairly short order. That'll do it for uh, this edition of the Individual One, uh, episode number thirty-two. As always, we finish with uh, two numbers: the chances of uh, Trump not finishing his uh, first term in office. I put that now at five percent, thanks to Mitt Romney's pathetic statement. Although I also am reducing the number for Trump to be reelected to a second term to only forty-three percent. This is partially because his approval ratings have now gone down in the last week, and his numbers against Joe Biden. Uh, head-to-head are just horrific, uh, and maybe even worse than, than I uh, had predicted, especially in the key state of Pennsylvania. So uh, please, uh, no wagering on those numbers, and I'm sure they, were, they are subject to change in the future. I do want to mention that in the coming weeks, our schedule is going to be in flux. For instance, this weekend, there will be no episode of the Individual One podcast. Please try to have your Memorial Day weekend without us. I, I know that's going to be difficult for a lot of people, but we will. But but on the bright side, we'll be moving up our our next episode from which is normally Wednesday to Tuesday of next week, and then after that, uh, we're going to be in a state of flux for the next couple of weeks. We'll we'll be doing at least one a week, but probably not two a week for the next couple of weeks, and then. We'll see where we go after that. Uh, This is purely a logistical issue and nothing having to do with the production of the podcast. But thanks again for listening. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at individual1pod. My name is John Ziegler. You're listening to the Global Story Network. (laughs) 